Hello, friends, and welcome to the first of a series of interviews with skill leaders and key opinion leaders in our industry, GameFi, Metaverse, and Guilds. We are launching this series because we want to bring more transparency and feedback from leaders that are building right now, especially as the market is in bad conditions. We want to know what's happening behind the scenes so everybody can be more hyped for what is to come. The very first interview today will be with uh, Sasha from Polymos, uh, a very interesting and intriguing project, started as a guild and morphed into something much bigger. Okay, so my very first question is, who is Sasha? Yeah, perfect. Uh, obviously, thanks for the intro, Jeremy, and th thanks for having me. So just very brief, because I'm I'm not someone that likes talking about himself, and you have to do that in every single, a single AMA and stuff, so I feel like it's the only thing you do. But uh, very brief about myself. So my background is in tech and gaming, so I started out as a programmer, been a gamer my whole life since early childhood years, played competitively Counter-Strike as a teenager, had a decade of hardcore MMO grinding for server first and all that kind of stuff. And for those of you that are familiar with World of Warcraft, you can see where my allegiance lies. Um, outside of that, uh, I've worked in the gaming industry for a couple of years, uh, mostly in product management. So I was responsible for multiple game teams, PC and mobile in-game development uh, and already live. And the last few years I've been in the IT management business uh, in the educational sector. And that was before I joined GameFi last year. So I was aware of crypto before. Nothing ever drew me in. I wasn't smart enough to understand DeFi uh, before and then be there when it happened uh, for real. But uh, certainly noticed immediately the potential of NFTs, real ownership for players, to some degree earning uh, potential for players, decentralization, all that convinced me from the get-go. So it took me a day or two coming across the space to literally start quitting my jobs, throwing all my life savings into it and going all in. And yeah, that's how I ended up in this space uh, 15, 16 months ago. Okay, so you have a okay, strong background in software gaming and you started so crypto 15, 16 months ago. Yeah, that is correct. I haven't been in crypto before that. I've been in it nonstop every day since then. Um, but I had I needed something that drew me into crypto. I was familiar with the concept, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all that kind of stuff. But nothing really was enticing enough for me to do the deep dive and do the research. And then, of course, as soon as you paired it with gaming, uh, that's kind of like the hook that I needed. And I'm pretty sure that is the hook that will basically... Uh, catapult crypto into mainstream over the next few years. Like I have zero doubts about that. Yeah, I share the same opinion actually. Okay, before uh, diving deeper into what mm -hmm. you do, uh, so yeah, you mentioned World of Warcraft, and we can see that you're you're uh, from the Alliance, and it's it's a like very common point. Most of the people I talk in our industry, they all play World of Warcraft. I also played World of Warcraft. I was a fan. I really loved it. So let me try to guess. I think like you were playing. I have two, two hypotheses. I think the first one is you're based on what Polymos is. So Polymos, I think, means war, ancient Greek, kind of a lot of warrior kind of style. So I would say you're playing a warrior. But when I talk to you and when I see you, I feel like a, a priest. So tell me. That's very good. I actually was a main tank uh, most of the time, uh, but my second character was a healer priest. So I was so either I... main healer or main wow. tank. The first one more so more true than the other. So priest was my my. I need some change character, and otherwise I was more like the main tank in in the raids. All right. So, so very, very good, good guess. <laughs> very good guess. Yeah, I'm very impressed on myself. Cool. Okay, so I'm going to tell you what the first time I heard about Polymos mm -hmm. and what I thought, I think it was in uh, around May or June, something like that, maybe April. And it was on LinkedIn. Um, and I just saw a post about uh, Polymos. Uh, Illuvium Guild raises $14 million at $100 million valuation seed round. And I thought to myself, wow. So this is a guild only for Illuvium that raised... 14 million at, uh, for a hundred million dollar valuation. And I was like, wow, this is really impressive. But um, yeah, maybe tell me more. So if it was true or if I misunderstood it somehow and, you know, 
what is the story behind that? So first of all, it is true. We did raise a hundred million at a 100 fully diluted valuation. And we closed our seed round um, earlier this year that was following on a $2 million, 40 mil FTV round in pre-seed uh, at the end of last year. Um, we have very reputable world-class backers, Delphi, Framework, QCP, Golden Tree, and a lot of others. So anyone I haven't mentioned, don't please take this as uh, being less important. I don't want to take the entire time at listing our investors here. Um, there's one common misunderstanding when it comes to Polemus. Now, Polemus technically is not a guild. We have we're building a community that acts as one, but it is not the like it's not exclusive. Um, what the entire ecosystem is about. So basically what Polemus is, it's a GameFi platform that builds its own tech stack in order to enhance GameFi as a whole. That tech stack will be usable by anyone, individuals, large-scale VCs, guilds, all that kind of stuff. But in order to fuel what Polemus and its tech stack is about, we need players on one side of the equation. And that's why we're building out our own community. That's why we're proudly wearing our Polymus tag into the leaderboards and into other discords. But we're not exclusively focused on the, the idea of guild because when you looked at the GameFi space and you look at what we like to say, guild 1.0, so YGG, Merit Circle, Avocado, and I'm not saying 1.0 in any kind of judgment, but those were the first ones at least the first prominent ones. Um, we already back then, we felt that the model of play to earn focusing on Axie scholarships is not going to be sustainable because again, I'm not saying this in almost every single interview. When the majority of players that come into your game are only there or to a large degree only there to extract liquidity, to extract value because they are literally just there playing to earn, then where does that money come from? So we always felt it's, there has to be a, a change and it's not going to be forever the way that Axie, for example, was, was running at that time. And obviously it did crash. So we always had the idea of win to earn in mind. So a very competitive focus. It's going to be the skilled players, the highly efficient farmers, the pro gamers. They will earn consistently a lot of money, potentially. But... Not everyone will just come in and, and make a huge, uh, great living on just playing. So we then just looked at, okay, if we have to pivot if in our initial ideation, so we didn't come out with something, it had to change. But if we have to pivot in our idea about what's happening, what else is needed? And then we just looked at GameFi as a whole. And basically what's missing is players. Like there are few million unique active wallets, a large majority of those are, are, are DeFi people seeking yield in some kind of fashion. So that's why we looked at a tech stack as a main foundation of Polymos. And that's what we're building right now with the Polymos University as a custom developed learning management system to bring people in. Value for existing players in GameFi, absolutely. But our huge focus on bringing players in from traditional gaming and then we're building our own fantasy universe and a huge amount of data analytics and tools for retention of these users and then we have the armory as a key piece where people will be able to stake idle game assets of selective games and put them into a pool generate passive yield and then that yield is obviously um, generated by the people on the other side. That could be guilds, could be just regular players, or it could be the community we're already building. And that liquidity balancing around it, that's why we're so focused on building our own community as well. Okay, I see. Before we uh, dive more into mm -hmm. what you just mentioned and what you're doing, I want to come back just a bit earlier on, sure. on so how did you start? How did, uh, why did I have in mind the fact that you were very related to Illuvium? How did you start? How did you uh, get the ID, raise the funds? Would be really nice if you could like take us through this process. Absolutely. So the the initial foundation of Polymus was was done, and that was before we there even was the name Polymus, was done by five very seasoned uh, VCs in this space. 
So they're close to, to, to the Alluvium team. There's a lot of uh, connections to a lot of the VCs. That's why we have so, such a great backing because they have been in this space uh, for many, many years and in, investing very, very successfully. That obviously gives you a large network to tap in. Now, they ended up with a larger position in Alluvium and obviously saw the growth of... Um, YGG and this whole like initial wave of guilds. Now, at that time, they decided that they wanted to do something actively becoming a founder rather than just an investor. Now, myself at the same time, I was sitting on the other side. I was heavily involved in Illuvium. I joined it shortly after coming across the space, quickly became a moderator, then a lead moderator. I was voted into the Illuvium Council for, for two consecutive epochs before then deciding to not uh, run again for one in between because of Polima's foundation. So my close ties with the Illuvium team then with Kieran as a co-founder in particular, who also is an official advisor of Polima's, that was the connection that brought me together with the other co-founders of Polima's. And we then basically teamed up and decided we want to do something together because they wanted to build something in the space. I wanted to build something in the space. And we had mutually complementing skill sets and backgrounds. And that's how it initially started. And that's when we then brought in our initial strategic uh, investors from Framework, Delphi, and QCP, and several of the DeFi founders in this space. So Carson from Tokamak, uh, Anton from One Inch, Stani from from uh, uh, and like, uh, and sorry, that was wrong. Avin One Inch should be uh, different, but like, Fay Protocol, Sushi, like a lot of these founders have have all been in the pre-seeds backing of Polymus, and so we teamed up and um, looked into how can we leverage all these minds and all these smart people's experience in the space so far to look ahead what this is going to become in the next few years and basically build towards that. That's why we didn't go for the, I want to say, Guild 1.0 model, but instead already try to imagine what's happening afterwards. And that's why we focused on the tech stack that we're building. Okay, so I see. So you started from uh, being very active in community of Illuvium, uh, connected with many people, extremely well connected themselves in the in the whole ecosystem, and then gathered a kind of a team that made a lot of sense, got a lot of uh, pre-seed checks from people well connected, and then you were able to kind of uh, create some hype, good good product, like uh, with an initial basis, kind of okay. So guilds are things are working, so we can start from there and then go further into a model trying to think further what was going to happen and so thanks to all these connections you were you managed to close this kind of initial uh, round if, yeah. if, if i understood correctly absolutely and, and i have um, a question as well like so you raise this money were there kind of prerogatives or pending conditions meaning that okay we give you this uh, amount of money but for instance 50 percent you it, you can use it for operations, but 50%, you have to use it for asset acquisition or investments. Was it said like that or not at all? I mean, it, it really it really depends on how you raise money in the first place. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm not going to be able to disclose like any, any confidential stuff here, who invested, how much and, and what they requested. But basically, what, what you have very often in kind of like fundraising conversations is obviously the question, what is that money going to be used for? Now, we, we've been on the we've been on the episode of, of the tavern just yesterday and uh, you heard me ask it literally to both of them uh, because it's it's an important question because it gives you an insight into what the money is supposed to be used for and also where the project is because if the project uses the money for paying basic operational expenses you obviously have to ask as well okay if that's used for like literally your daily runway like, how long is it going to last? Because what if I now give you money? You have no money now. You literally needed to pay your team. It lasts you six months, but you actually need at least 12 to, to get to the point of delivering anything. Then I don't want to invest into that because I'm, I'm betting, like, I basically take the risk knowing you will have to find more money to even get to uh, anything reasonable. So we were asked these questions as well, of course. And, and we did 
um, whenever it came up, obviously have answers for that based on where we needed the money to go. Now, when you start out with a few co-founders uh, and a co like couple of people that are highly interested to join, it's a small team. So a lot of the money early on obviously went into team building. Like we needed to scale our team. By now we have over 30 core contributors full time. We have um, several uh, partner development teams supporting us from, from a tech perspective. So I would say they are probably around... 60, 70 people working full-time on Polymers nowadays, um, but not all of them are fully core contributors. Some of them are contracted, of course. And these kinds of explanations we obviously had to give as well. So initially it was team building uh, or team growth, team scaling in order to have any kind of significant foundation in, internally. And then, of course, as a heavily technology development-focused protocol, there is obviously a lot of money being spent on software development, on tech development. Since we're not exclusively focused on, uh, say, the traditional scholarship model in this space, only purchasing assets is obviously not all, for, all of it for us personally, because we need to build that tech platform, which we have. Like We're about to have soft launch in about six weeks with a majority of the tech stack as early access for getting beta feedback. And then we're expecting the, the whole platform in its first iteration to be out within the next three to six months. Um, so we're close to being done. Game delays were the major issues for us, actually, less so our own tech de uh, development delays. Um, so yeah, but we had to obviously answer questions about that too. Okay, super. thank you very much for answering. I think it's really useful information for many uh, that will be listening. And last last question on fundraising. Um, sure. I've heard rumors that you might be, Polymos might be uh, looking to raise another round of a different magnitude. So this is rumors. I don't know anything about it. Can it depends what you mean, different magnitude. I mean, yes, there will be additional fundraising um, for Polymers. Um, I'm not going to be able to disclose any numbers here just mm -hmm. yet. Um, but obviously, there's something that everyone needs to understand in this current market is, of course, we're not 12 months in the past anymore. We are not at the hype uh, of a bull market. We don't have just projects like guilds coming out with two, three, five billion dollar valuations. Um, I mean, GameFi in general is like still highly, highly inflated in, in its valuations. Yeah. I think there has been a lot of correction done now uh, or a lot of correction happened with the market and, and the crash. Um, but I, I think it's you need to approach it from a different perspective. Like right now, I think substance, fundamentals, team, all that is a lot more important for, for, for many VCs uh, compared to just the, I don't want to say the vision on the paper, the hype, the idea about this is the next big thing. It's going to blow up and the, the token is going to rise a thousand times within the first week. Um, we're not there anymore. And it's, in, for my opinion, it's good. I prefer a more solid and, and substantial building phase for GameFi because all that hype, all these then also scams that came out of it because it was so easy to to basically get people to throw their money at something that initially like essentially was nothing but a scam. I think it's good that there there has been a lot of correction there. I'm obviously sad for anyone that lost money in it, so I don't wish that on anyone. But I think for the space as a whole, it is a healthy correction overall. Um, valuations become somewhat more realistic. People need to focus on delivering quality rather than a hype paper, uh, kind of like you could raise a 10, 20, 30 million based on just a white paper and two dudes coming along and saying, we're going to build this. I mean, it, it was a completely different time. Now you need to look at it more from a more substantial perspective and actually come with something uh, yeah, that, that shows value. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's true. I can comment on that. We tried to do that. We were a couple months too late. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, but we, we're still uh, doing a lot. Uh, but regarding yeah, two guys coming with an ID, we tried it a couple yeah. months too late. Uh, I mean, you can still raise money. I'm not saying it's yeah, impossible. No, I mean, sure. You can still raise money in this space. You just have to approach it differently and you, you have to show more 
uh, you have to be you have to build more before or at least have I don't know the right connections or yeah. the right backing in advance. Okay, so thank you. Very transparent and all that is very useful. Um, I'm going to ask you a very simple question now, which I think is actually difficult. What is a guild? Yeah, that that's one of the reasons why why I always feel it's so difficult to to, to kind of like answer what, what polemus is if it's a guild or not. I think if you look at it from a traditional sense, guilds is obviously just a different name for clan or team or whatever, depending on the game. I mean, no one calls a um, a squad or a team in, in Counter Strike a guild, but technically it's it's just the same. It's a couple of people that come together and play a game either competitively or at least in collaboration with one another. Now, obviously in this space, in GameFi, depending on how you look at that, guilds have a business component to them as well because of the earning potential, the investment potential in this space. So I do think that guilds, in my opinion, at a very like high-level descriptive kind of like point of view, it's businesses that focus on community building or that focus on players. You could almost say players as a service. Um, that, that's kind of like what it is. The business model of a guild is players as a service. You, you have players and you provide them as a service to the other side. Now, that can remain lucrative in the future. I'm not sure. It's really going to depend on how game developers will adopt the opportunities of blockchain technology inside of their game economies going forward. I don't think that uh, large-scale yield farming operations, similar to what was done in Axie, is going to be something that will be seen in the majority of games going forward because it's very difficult to balance. I do think there will be this at least skill component if the developer pays out any kind of like in-game yield. Um, so there will probably be some shift in, in how guilds operate. And you could see that already. I mean, they started out as scholarship uh, uh, businesses, scholarship operations. And those that were successful early on, YGG, Merit Circle, et cetera, they then quickly pivoted to becoming more or less like VCs. They were the ones early in investing into seed, pre-seed. Obviously, there's price appreciation if they bet on the right horses, that kind of stuff. And then some of them are also starting to build their own technology. Um, so I do think that the idea of I want to build a business solely based around getting a lot of scholars and then giving them assets and let them farm. I don't think there will be too many games where that is going to be possible anymore, uh, at least not in the scale and in the revenue stream uh, heights of what we've seen. But I do think there will be the opportunity to still leverage the idea of players as a service in other ways. It's just going to be more skill-focused, more efficiency-focused than it has been so far, where mass scaling was much more lucrative than quality scaling. Yeah, I think it resonates with what I've been hearing. I'm talking to a lot of guilds, obviously, and I, I know that right now a lot of deals between guilds and games look like, uh, okay, the guild will, will not say I'm going to invest in your assets. They say, okay, you're going to give me your assets and I'm going to give you player as a service. Mm. You don't have to pay me upfront, but you just have to give me your assets. And then in general, the terms are, uh, I cannot sell the NFT as a guild for maybe one year or two years. Mm. But uh, but still, they gave me hundred thousand worth uh, dollars worth of uh, of NFTs to earn, so yep. used to earn NFTs, uh, scholarship model, etc. And then in exchange of bringing players, so deals like that seems to be more and more relevant, especially for uh, tier two games. Let's put it that way. Uh, do you, so do, so you think this makes sense? Is it sustainable? And uh, and do you think like there is a room for people? to launch your guild right now, doing this specific model, which is kind of gather a community and say, okay, I'm gathering a community, uh, influencers, whatever, and go to all the game and say, you give me NFTs, I bring you players as a service, or doesn't make sense. I think there's room for it. Um, I'm not sure if all 
high-end tier one games would go for that because they know about the quality of the product. And if they have the right leverage already in terms of networking capabilities, the right kind of contacts into traditional gaming, which a lot of the high profile teams and studios that started to develop over the last six to 12 months now do have because they come with decades of AAA traditional gaming experience. Um, they probably won't go for it, maybe to some degree. I mean, in the, in the end, again, it's, it's what I mentioned before. Like one of the most valuable currencies in this space, not just now, but also going forward, is players. It's it's the most valuable currency there is. It's not Ethereum. It's not whatever token it is, whatever NFT. It's players because if the players are not there, the game developers are not going to make money. If the players are not there willing to spend, no one else will be able to make money because where does it come from? I mean, yes, VCs will pump uh, money into games and games will come out. But as soon as there are no players to adopt these games, VCs will stop pump money into games because they don't make any profits either. So I do think that there is going to be a lot, lot more focus on communities, guilds, whatever you want to call that. I'm pretty sure that term is going to be evolve over time massively um, because in essence, you will be able to build a business just around gathering a loyal, passionate community and be able to influence where they go and what they do. That is going to become a business model. And I think it's going to be a much more sustainable business model than the wave one kind of like scholarships that we have. Now, again, not saying that this was any kind of bad what people did. They made a lot of money, all good. Um, some games will still allow for that. I just don't think it's going to be what we'll see long term because it's going to be difficult to balance it and keep it sustainable. But again, that doesn't mean that the guilds that are now existing, especially those with large amounts of players, won't be able to leverage that to a very, very, very successful degree. Because again, if you can influence your players properly and make them passionate about going somewhere that benefits the business, then you have a huge, huge, huge lever to pull here when you talk to game developers. Any game developer that that you would talk to, even the most AAA ones, if you could go to them and tell them, Let's partner up. I can guarantee you 10, 100,000 players as of day one, not just bots, not just people that are coming for a day, but like I have a massive community that I can direct to your game that is going to actively pretty bullish play your game. There's not a single developer, unless they have an issue with your particular community, but otherwise there's not a single developer that would say no to this. If the terms are right, of course, if you have any kind of outrageous demands, Obviously, that's not going to fly either. Okay. Um, NFT lending is the fuel of the metaverse economy. What do you think? Absolutely. Um, so again, one of the parts that we have in, in our tech stack is the armory. And the armory literally evolves around retail player, like retail uh, investors, but also just like large scale VCs to be able to put their assets into a staking pool. And on the other side, there is a renting library for people to take them out, use them, or we put them into some form of yield programs and have them utilized by kind of like our active community directly. But I do think that because of the ownership of assets, which has not been the case in traditional gaming so far, at least not to the degree that we have the possibility in blockchain, will be a huge factor of the future of gaming. And not everyone wants to sell their stuff. Um, I mean, you could be sitting on a highly, highly valuable asset in a game. You might have played it for a couple of years, but you, you leave the game. The, 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 the item might still be one of the best ones in the game. You could sell it, of course, but maybe you're very, very, very tied to that game from an emotional level, or you might want to come back in a year or whatever. You don't want to just sit on that. Like, it's hugely valuable. You want to make money with it, of course, especially if you can make money in your sleep because someone else pays you for it 
renting something that you don't use right now. So absolutely, the ownership of NFTs, the ownership of in-game items will give us a massive, massive boom to NFT lending. The question is, how do you facilitate that NFT lending? A lot of the protocols currently are looking at it from the perspective of wrapped assets that that I, I want to say easy. It's not easy technically, of course, but it's easier than, than other solutions, uh, easy setup. And the problem with wrapped assets is, of course, that we don't have any NFT standards yet. We don't have NFT standards that all game developers or a majority of game developers actually build build up uh, build on which means that as soon as you wrap the asset it might not be longer be recognized in the game so yes you can lend it out to someone the owner is protected but the one that actually rents it out can cannot take it into the game the way they would want to that's also why the solution that we've built is more focused on on having a um, having a polymos wallet included which means that you can actually limit certain destructive actions at a at, at a wallet level. So that, for example, people come taking an asset, renting it, take Illuvium as an example. You don't want someone to take three Atlas, merge them into a stage two, and one of them was actually rented. That's not going to be so satisfying for, for the actual owner of that asset. And as, you need to be able to prevent these kind of actions at a game level. Um, but as soon as these kind of things, and we, we, we are basically more or less going to launch that for, for the games we integrate, but as soon as you have standards come out and you can do it with wrapped assets and all these kind of things, which I think is a couple of years out still because it needs adoption of all game developers as well, then NFT lending and renting and all that kind of stuff will blow up even more because it's much easier to bring it to the masses in all games. Yeah, I, I really agree with you. Um, and I think that's kind of the path we're going forward towards. Uh, NFT lending is going to be the key. And like all the services revolving around that are very important, which, uh, for instance, like who you're going to uh, lend it to, who's going to be renting, what is their, uh, for instance, reputation, their uh, an analysis of what they do on chain, off chain, etc. So you talked about the lending tech, so there is wrapped assets, but they're also like a, a delegations. There are different kind of protocols. And we're going to uh, go a bit more into what you do uh, exactly, what problems you solve. But just, you know, I'm also talking to a lot of games, and there's more and more games that tells me because of market conditions, because of what it, it, it like the market is right now, we're going to get away from to earn. We're going to remove our tokens, earning, farming, whatever. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to build games and try to onboard Web2 people. Uh, maybe there's going to be NFTs, but it, they like user will not even know. And uh, there won't be any token uh, anytime soon. So there's, I think one of the reasons is that you want to be on the Apple Store and Google Store and uh, Play Store. And if you have two earns, you cannot be. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's... So it's tough for uh, guilds, VCs, and uh, like any investors that acquire in-game assets right now because of all these um, problems. How, what do you think about it? And because you're building in this sphere, uh, how are you going to, like, what are you going to do? What are going to be your strategy uh, in order to survive until the users come? I think a, a lot of the things that just require you to have some patience and set you up for survivability in the long run. I, I don't think it's the wrong approach to do something like a Web 2.5 uh, game development phase, where because you just have to mention NFTs or GameFi blockchain to a lot of traditional gamers, and they immediately say no. Because there, there is a that there have been some bad precedents with scams and people weren't satisfied with the games they saw. And to be honest, a lot of the games that we have in this space, if you would put them one to one with competitors in traditional gaming, they probably wouldn't be succeeding. That's just unfortunately how it still is. But a that's going to change. I've seen several very very good projects in development that should come out next year that are all developed by people that have 10, 20, 30 years of AAA experience in traditional gaming, which means they come out with the quality, with a game first mentality. 
enhanced by blockchain technology. That's the way it should be, in my opinion. Right now, the majority of what we had initially was gamified DeFi products. It was not, they weren't games enhanced by blockchain technology. Now, I don't think it's a bad idea to, to slow down the adoption of blockchain in game development. I do think the ownership of your assets is the biggest factor from all here. I don't think that the earning capacity is necessarily what's going to drive most of people in. I think it's the ownership of your assets because technically that allows you to earn as well. As long as I own the assets, I don't need additional earning capabilities. You can just take an example of World of Warcraft. People have been playing the marketplace 10 hours a day. People have been crafting and farming 20 hours a day. There were people that were sitting on almost one-off recipes for a long time, being able to take outrageous prices and no one could do anything about it. Now, just imagine you have all that, but the NFTs, because it doesn't require anything. Like you literally just build the game as you did before, but the assets are NFTs. That would be the only difference here. You automatically have a earning potential here because then, of course, if you get valuable NFTs, you can sell them, you can rent them, that kind of stuff. It doesn't require the game necessarily to build a, let's say, yield farming mechanism into its core loop. It's not necessary as long as you build a sustainable economy for your game in the first place and hand the ownership of the assets to the players. You're just making that economy much, much more real because it is real. It's a real economy. It has monetary value and people will treat it as such. And people that are successful will earn a lot of money and people that are not successful, unfortunately won't. But that's kind of like how the world runs, unfortunately, still. Yeah, that's true. And what is... Polymos, uh, what are you trying? What is the main problem you're trying to solve, and where do you see it taking you in two years? Hopefully, when halving comes and a new bull run, or where where do you want to be at that moment? So we're looking at it from the perspective of three core goals. They they are the very very foundation of of how we're build and are building the the protocol. So the first one is metaverse adoption, and we translate that basically with user acquisition. Uh, this user acquisition, we're not looking at the gamefi players right now. What little there are, we're looking at traditional gaming. So we want to help onboard as many people into this space as possible. That's at the very core of what we want to do. That's why we're building the Polymus University as a Web3 native custom developed learning management system where you have courses, wikis, reports, all that kind of stuff so that people that are not informed about the space yet have a sort of single point of truth, a single source of truth and can go there. They can learn about GameFi in general, about blockchain, about wallet security, but also about the games at an entry level or even all the way to expert level, if that's what you're looking for. So that's the one pillar that we're building towards to. And this is like the tech stack for that is developed. It's just about populating with content, which obviously is a little bit difficult when the games are not out yet. <laughs> so we're, we're doing our best on that front. And that's, that's why we had to push the soft launch a little bit. Now, the second pillar for us is Community engagement, it's all about user retention. This is why we're building, like we're building our own franchise here, our own, our own IP. We have from the very first day that we came out, we have been building our own fantasy universe. We're crazily enhancing it. We will have our own Genesis avatars, highly quality 3D models that we just recently leaked as well. So we're, we're doing a lot on the retention part of our community because we're looking at this from a, holistic perspective. Gamers are not just, I want to say, yield farming machines for you. Like we, we are looking to build a competitive, collaborative community. And that requires things to retain them, things to make them passionate about, things to make them laugh and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's why we have this, this fantasy universe at the core. And we then enhance their play experience via data analytics, metagame strategies. So we're obviously focusing on the game part as well. And then you have the third pillar on our end, which is esports dominance. 
And that is we're looking to build over the top of everything uh, an esports organization that is both focused on tournament hosting, live commentary, entertainment, interactive Twitch streams, that kind of stuff, but also takes its own community into battle. So we want to be at the forefront of the leaderboards. We want to be there where, where the action is, is happening. Because, again, when we looked at it a year ago, play to earn never was sustainable for us. And we always, from the very beginning, said that the space will migrate to something like win to earn, at least on the earn part. I also like play to own or, the, or play and own. All these are good. But if you absolutely want to keep the earn in there as an incentive, then it's going to be win to earn. I, like, I really can't see it going anywhere else. Um, so that's obviously why we always have this competitive mindset there. And you just need to look at esports overall. I mean, Newsu is public, uh, publishing uh, very in-depth uh, numbers and reports all the time. And it's going to be 500 million esport viewers next year. That's consumers that are watching it as an entertainment. Over 300 million active esports enthusiasts playing games competitively. And we have an, something like 8% compound annual growth on both of these numbers. That This is ridiculous. This space is going to blow up as soon as all these good games come out. That then via tokens and NFTs, all stuff you can own, could have monetary value as price tournament prices that dwarfs anything we've seen so far. And as soon as that happens, every big major... Uh, esports organization will come over, which they partially do already. If you noticed, uh, IMX and Guild of Guardians recently announced some very prominent names coming across to the space. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, and I was wondering, so your audience, you're trying to uh, educate them with the university. Uh, yes. You're trying to help them go from a, a random player to a kind of esports player or, you know. If they want to, yes. If they want to. Where is your target audience, uh, like geographically? Is it more like Western countries, more Asia, Southeast Asia, South America? So where is your main audience? And how do you plan on uh, onboarding them? Is the uh, financial incentives going to be the main uh, USP for onboarding them? Is it just going to be... Uh, yeah, I'm asking that because... Who would spend too much effort into learning to play new games or even discovering new games? Uh, you're already bombarded with new information all the time. Uh, advertisements, recommendations, word of mouth, influencers to tell you, play this game, play this game, because they are fun. Mm -hmm. So how do you plan on, if it's not the financial, so maybe it's the financial incentives, but if it's not the financial, what, it, what is it to onboard people to learn, uh, study, work in order to become better or... To like blockchain games? I think the financials are certainly going to be the main driver initially. Um, good games are existing in Web2 already. Good games will continue to exist in Web2 for quite a while. Um, so it's not going to be that that drives people over. I do think as, as, as soon as more and more people understand what real ownership of your in-game assets means, uh, that's going to push many, many, many players into the GameFi space. But if you take it like at a very, very tiny technical level, that's still earning. Like you want to own what you make because it has value for you that you potentially can rent out, that you potentially can sell, or that you can just have sitting there knowing I have that much amount of value in here. So I do think the, the earning capacity, however that is, whether that's through yield programs or through renting or just by sheer ownership, I think that's going to drive a lot of the adoption initially. And you can direct a lot of this adoption via community incentive programs throughout individual ecosystems. We'll, we'll have a lot of our tokens set aside for community engagement. So we're going to um, tr try to like reward people for actively contribute to the protocol in community roles and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you, you can obviously also leverage uh, tokenomics for driving people elsewhere. You can drive them to utilize the university. There's, there are existing protocols out there that do something like learn and earn, where you literally can earn a tiny amount of rewards just for engaging with the educational content. 
And you could see that as a form of user acquisition from the protocol's perspective, from the game developer's perspective, because you pay them a little bit because you think your content is very, very good. And if you just get them to actually dissect the content and digest the content, then you might have a good chance to retain them. So learn and earn programs will definitely be a thing. And then just the ownership. I think as soon as we get the onboarding right and as soon as we get scams under control i'm not going to say we'll go rid of them that's not going to be a thing grab 2 gaming hasn't gotten rid of bots either but but i do think there are ways to minimize the 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 high risk there is for let's say less savvy blockchain uh like enthusiasts right now so anyone that comes into the space into crypto right now without any prior knowledge is an easy target it's it's so easy to to get scammed right now as soon as we have that under control as soon as NFTs are, are taking at face value for what they are, real ownership, that's it, um, we'll see the mass adoption. But it will still be the financial incentive. When you invest in a game, when you acquire assets, what is the most important element for you when you're looking at investing in any Web3 games? I think initially, um, which, which was the case, especially for a lot of the larger guilds, um, it was the potential of any kind of yield program operation. So what traditionally is the scholarship model. Um, we're trying, like personally, we're trying to get away from that because we don't think that scholarship really captures what it is. So that, that's basically the, what I'm referring to with yield programs here. I do think that was the, the main driver of a lot of the investment decisions in the past. Can I scale and mass operations here and then earn a lot of in-game yield? by having access to these assets and utilize the players that I have. Which, of course, wherever that's still possible, I mean, it's a valid route to take. I mean, you're not doing anything illegal. If you make a lot of money, then awesome, kudos to you. Um, but again, I don't think the majority of games will provide that avenue going forward. Meaning the way that people will start investing into assets, especially NFTs, will probably shift now as well. I think there are two main avenues that that people will take when doing the due diligence on nft purchases one is do i actually think that based on the way the nft is integrated into the overall economy that it will have or it will see a lot of price appreciation so it's speculation pure speculation i buy it at x i'm hoping i could buy uh, sell it at x point many many times more um the other option is skill it's do I need that asset in order to be competitive? Has it any kind of advantage for me in order to be better than my fellow uh, neighbor on the other side playing the exact same game? Now, guilds, communities, individual players that want to focus on competitive play will have to get access to these kind of assets. Now, it's obviously always very um, sensitive to not make your game play to win. But to a certain degree, some kind of monetary input is a part of a lot of the games that are out there, even pretty, pretty heavily esports favorite games. So I do think speculation on price appreciation and necessity in order to be competitive will be the main two drivers of how to evaluate NFT purchases in the, in the future. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question that... Then I will ask every single uh, person that comes uh, in the interview. Actually, okay. two different questions. First question is, I don't like the, the words scholars and scholarships. I think it's weird. I don't think it defines correctly what we're doing there. Uh, so I'm going to make a poll and ask uh, all the people there to tell me what they think would be a better word to define this kind of NFT lending, renting uh, in-game. Yeah, as I as I said already as well, like I don't like it at all. Um, we don't like it internally, and not a lot of the projects don't either. Um, we are actually discussing that internally right now, so I can't give you something because we haven't decided yet. Me personally, without being like without not being able to be persuaded of something else, I'm still favoring something in the lines of yield programs because it it captures what this is. And then, however you want to define the the actual right now scholar as part of that yield program 
guild agent, guild partner, whatever, is, is going to be, be different. But I do think something like yield programs is probably where it's going to be because it captures the focus on earning from the player point of view. And it's also something that VCs and, and kind of like more investor type of people are able to wrap their head around. So I do think it's going to be, or it could be in the lines of something like that. Okay, so yield program, yield agent or partner. Okay, we'll see. We'll try to, to push it. And hopefully if I get enough guilds around that agree with one term, we can finally move away from this scholar and scholarship because it really bothers me as well. I'm, I'm not a fan. Yeah, awesome. Glad um, to hear everyone. Anyone that supports a shift there is, uh, it's, yeah, love it. Perfect. And my last question, the meta question, kind of weird, but I think it's fun. So if life was a game and you can go up to level 100, what is your current level? Oh, that's an interesting one. It's funny that you're saying 100 because I'm literally telling people, my whole family, since I was a little child, that I'm going to become 100 years old. Um, and I'm still saying that. Um, so I'd say if I actually stick to that and take my current age, I would have to say 39. But um, if I look at potential, because, I mean, obviously with level progression, there usually comes advanced skills or more talented features, whatever. But I do think I'm somewhere there. I still, I do think I still have a lot of potential left in me. The space, especially where, which I'm in now, um, is barely starting. It's entirely in its infancy and we will all grow with it at the very early stages. It's going to change, change so many of us and change the way that we look at gaming, business and the world even, considering decentralized governance and all these things are part of the space. So I would say I'm, I might be a few years for like few levels further ahead than I'm in in ages, but probably less than half of what I still have to give. Okay, uh, very good answer. And the last one that follows up, how do you win the game? How do I win the game? So that's a tricky one. It's certainly not money, it's certainly not titles. I do think if when I actually die, I'm still so passionate and happy about what I do and still as in love with my partner as I am, then I've did, did everything right. Okay, I like this answer. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sasha. It was a real pleasure to have you today on this first interview. I think we covered a lot of topics pretty uh, in depth. I liked your answers, very bullish on on Polymos and you about to release a lot of cool stuff uh, shortly. So yeah, uh, again, a pleasure and let's be in touch. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure as well. Bye. Thanks. Bye.